I'm excited to, to bring you today um, the word of the Lord. So we are in Luke, if you want to go there with me, in Luke chapter 2. And we're going to pick it up where, where we left off last week in uh, 22. Jesus presented at the temple, if you all want to read this with me. We're going to go all the way to 40. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called, the ho- called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of, tr- a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Let us pray. Lord, Your coming into this world was such a gift, the greatest gift, our most beautiful treasure. Lord, as as we learn about your childhood this morning, about who your parents were and, and the things that were prophesied over you and the things that were promised to your people, Lord, we we receive it with joy in our hearts, knowing that you have come for all mankind that God so loved the world that he sent you to us we rejoice in that this morning amen, amen. so Jesus has come we're, we're, you know we started Luke and so we're, we're not hitting the perfect you know chapter but I think it works you know typically this is the morning that we you know this is the Sunday before Christmas and we preach the birth of Jesus well we already covered that so awesome 
kind of are ahead of schedule, which is great. So we get to talk about this, this part of Jesus' dedication. You know, we see a lot of dedications, right? It's part of our custom here, even at Redemption Hill. You know, in a few weeks, we're waiting for Mike and Antoinette to come back, and we're going to dedicate our baby girl uh, here at the front with our church family. So this is a custom that started many, many generations ago of bringing a newborn child to the temple to be dedicated. Um, and, and this was according to the law of Moses, right? And so what actually would have to take place was they had to wait 40 days uh, because Mary was considered unclean uh, after giving birth. And so the tradition, the Jewish law, the law of Moses, you had to wait 40 days, then you would come and bring the newborn child into the temple with the mother, and it was a, a time of purification and presenting this child Except for this is the child of God. It's a little different. But what I love and what I want to pull from this first part was that Mary and Joseph were devout parents. And they loved this baby so much. And they loved God so much. And they wanted to honor God. I mean, this is the son of God who they, she has just given birth to. And... They're going to travel to Jerusalem. So that's not an easy feat. They've already done, I mean, she's already been through a lot. I mean, I, we just recently went through, this is very real for me right now. Like childbirth is, is a serious business. It is not easy. And, and this is only, so, I mean, our baby is now 30 days old. And it's a trip just to get her to church this morning. I mean, you know, five miles from here, Does they, for her to be here right now, for Becky to get the kids ready and bring them, that's a big deal. We're talking traveling to Jerusalem, and, it, and it, it, you always say they go up to Jerusalem because you're literally going up. Anytime anyone goes to Jerusalem, especially from Nazareth, you are going up to Jerusalem. So this is a trek, but they are so devout. I mean, it could be very easy. I mean, I just gave birth in a manger. I think she could have called this one in, you know, like, hey, we'll, come, we'll go next year. Let's just wait for it. But they are so devout. Joseph and Mary were so committed, so committed to honoring God and honoring this gift that has been bestowed upon them um, that they knew is necessary to bring Jesus to the temple to present this offering. And it confirms, too, what we have of many accounts that Jesus came from a very humble home. So they brought a pair of turtle doves or, or two young pigeons Typically, for, for, a, for a well-to-do or average-class family, this should have been a lamb. A lamb should have been. That is really the traditional sacrifice. However, in the law of Moses, there was an exception made for those who cannot afford a lamb to bring two turtle doves or two pigeons. And, I mean, that just, again, speaks to the humble beginnings that Jesus had, that he came into a home that did not have treasures, that did not have riches, but an abundance of love, an abundance of peace and hope, and that he had two parents who loved God so much that they would sacrifice anything and everything to, to raise Jesus according to to what the, the plans that God had for them. It didn't matter the cost. It didn't matter what it sacrificed, but they were committed. They were so devout in their honoring of God's law to bring up Jesus in their home. And 
the raising of a child, for all of us parents, we know that this is a, a, a huge duty, a very big responsibility. And I have the great privilege of raising a child that's not my own, right? Uh, Ryan, my stepson, who, who I love so much, has been adopted into my family. And you have to think for, for, for Mary and Joseph, this is kind of a similar thing. The child was really not their own. It was from God, right? Especially for Joseph, Jesus is kind of technically his stepson. And you see how committed he is into raising Jesus and to being this role model for him, to teaching him his trade, to be a craftsman. I mean, God knew what he was doing when he picked Joseph and Mary, you just see this beautiful plan of this, this couple who is so humble and so and, and treated Jesus with such care. Uh, I mean, but what a responsibility. I mean, so Ryan and I don't always get along, right? We have our <laughs> – it's, it's difficult, right? Father and son, it, you, you go through some stuff, man. And you got to wonder, I mean, what kind of kid was Jesus? I mean, to raise the Son of God, I mean – how was he on chores, you know? Did, did he, like, Emlyn wakes up four times a night. It's pretty, Becky has to deal with that, not as much as me. But, I mean, what was Jesus like as a newborn? I just always wondered that, like, okay, so he's divine, you know, he's all-powerful, all-knowing. So you're trying to help him with his homework and, like, he knows everything? I don't know. Like, I try to help Ryan, and Ryan thinks he knows everything, but he doesn't. We're trying to, like, that battle. I mean, it, it, it took a special parent to raise this, the Messiah? I mean, that's a huge thing. And I just love the heart of Mary and Joseph. They're such an example. If you want to study what is it like to be God-fearing and God-honoring parents, we can look no further than Mary and Joseph, a beautiful example to raise a child in the way that he should go. Even though Jesus uh, was the Son of God, all-knowing, all omniscient, um, omnipresent, I mean, Jesus, the Son of God, yet they took the time to raise him in tradition and raise him under the covering of their church, right, and their family, that that was so important to them. They didn't just write it off, well, he's the Son of God, we don't need to take him to temple, right? I mean, he knows, he knows God, but he, they, they took such care to present him and bring him uh, to the temple, and so that's the first thing I just really want us to pull from that is, Man, what a beautiful example of, of what it is to be godly parents. That even that Jesus, the Son of God, was brought to temple. And it's a lot of work to bring your kids to church. I know. It's a lot of work. But there's something about coming to church and being in God's presence with each other as both parents and children and, and teaching our, our, our kids about what it is to know God what it is to love God, what it is to honor him. And that is a, a, a great responsibility that we have. Now, what is our responsibility of, of those of us for the children that are not ours? We see two beautiful examples in Simeon and Anna in the temple and how they honored Jesus. So if we look at verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. 
And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And, for a, sin that is a, and for, for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So we see Simeon here in the temple, and he is this righteous and devout man. And he's waiting for something. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now this word consolation refers to the hope of that God would come and rescue his people. He's waiting for the hope. He is waiting devoutly praying for that hope that God is coming to rescue and comfort the people of Israel. And he's been waiting a very, very long time. Very, very long time. But he has never given up that hope. He's never given up that hope. And the angels of God were really busy in this season. So they're appearing to Elizabeth. They're appearing to Mary and Joseph. They're appearing to shepherds in the field. They're appearing to Simeon. I mean, th- this is a busy season if you're an angel. You're getting your wings, man. You are earning your wings. You're all over the map. And so th- this angel promises to Simeon that you're not going to die until you see Jesus. What a beautiful promise. And What really struck me about this is that we have such a beautiful God of promise. There's so many beautiful promises, and God has never, ever, ever failed to fulfill his promises. And that's what I really want to drive home with you today, is that God has never, ever not fulfilled his promises. He is a God of promise. And his greatest promise to us was that he was going to send his son, a redeemer, a savior. And that promise has been fulfilled. But there are so many other beautiful promises that I want to go over with you today that I just, man, the bo- I mean, there's a, literally thousands of promises. And God has completed every one. Now, there's still a few of those yet to come, right? The return of our savior. But we can know by studying the promises that have been fulfilled, and that's what gives us hope and comfort. So let's just look through some of these promises, and we're going to do some Bible jumping today. If you want to jump with me or just follow along, but we're going we're to jump around to look at 10 of God's promises. And these are relevant, amazing promises that he gives us. So first we're going to go to 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4. 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4. You don't have to go there, but we're going to read this together. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us 
his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. See, it's through the promises of God that we can partake in his divine nature. We can't partake in his divine nature just because we're holy, just because we're really good at praying or really good at singing like some of us are. Come on. I mean, that divine nature, right? No. It's by the promises of God that draw us into that holy relationship with God. It's through his promises and the fulfillment of those promises. It's nothing that we can do. I know you hear us say that a million times. We're going to say that probably every Sunday that you come to Redemption Hill. It's nothing about what we're doing. It's about the promises that God has given us, right? And a promise isn't earned, right? Now, I try to make deals with my son, like, okay, I will do this for you if you clean your room, right? That's, that's like an agreement. That's not a promise. Like, I promise to take you to the movies, if you clean your room. It's not really, that's not really a good deal. That's more of a, a negotiation between me and him. God is saying, I promise to give you this no matter what you do. I promise to send you my son as my ultimate gift. There's nothing that you have to do. These are the promises that bring us into that family of God. In Jeremiah 29, 11, one of the most famous promises, the most quoted promise probably of all the, of the Bible, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. This is the promise of our God. This is the promise of our God, that he has a future and a plan for you. And if he fulfills every promise, if God has never, ever broken a promise, don't you know that he has a plan for you? That you're not wandering aimless without a purpose. You're not wandering aimless without any hope of becoming who you're supposed to be in Jesus. He's already done it for you. There's nothing that you can do for it. It's a promise that he will fulfill, that he is fulfilling in your life. In Matthew eleven twenty eight thirty, 30, another promise from Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the promise of our Savior, that we would rest in him, that we would trade our burdens for his burdens, and that those burdens would be light. That is his promise. That is his truth. These are the things that we could grab a hold of this morning. In Isaiah, I'm just going to, man, we got lots of promises. We got 10 of them, so I'm going to go through these. Isaiah 40, 29 to 31 have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases in strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. A beautiful promise from our God. I am no longer a youth. I've passed that. I've officially taken the leap over to adulthood. Three kids, no longer a youth, officially. And even in my youth, right, it says you're going to grow weary. So when I was younger, I had a lot of energy. Not as much energy as Ryan. I'm using Ryan a lot because he's leaving to Philadelphia today. So I got I to gotta pick on him a little bit. But Ryan has energy. I had a lot of energy as a youth, right? And even youth get exhausted. At some point, you run out, right? As you get older, that just that happens faster. You get there. <laughs> that, that tank empties a lot quicker. The promise of our God, and we're not just talking about running around in the playground, right? I mean, that's a, a metaphor. But we're talking about the energy of life, right? That, that, that thing that motivates you every day to get up in the morning. Man, as you get older, sometimes that gets a little harder and a little harder. And it says in God's promise here that you shall not faint. You shall not be weary. You shall not fall exhausted. That I will renew your strength you will mount up like wings, like eagles. You can run and you won't be weary. You can walk and you shall not faint. This is the promise of our God. And if we're saying that God fulfills his promise, then this promise is fulfilled. Are y'all grabbing this this morning? These are the promises. I'm not making this up. And this is not a prosperity like if you just believe in these promises, life is good. No, this is the truth of God's word that his promises will be fulfilled. He is a God of promise. He is a God of promise. Let's look at the next one. Philippians 4.19. Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, this one is used for prosperity gospel. You know, it's like, if you just believe, man, also you got to believe and those riches will come, right? Amen. Hallelujah. But that's not really, if you really want to pick apart this, this promise, he says, I will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory, your needs, okay? You may think you need to escalate, not so much. <laughs> it's a luxury, right? You may need a house with seven bedrooms. Well, some of us, if we keep having kids, you're going to need that. But um, it says he will supply our need. No one knows your needs better than our Father God. Not your, not your spouse, not your kids. No one knows your needs better than our Father God. And he has promised on his word, he has promised on his word to fulfill that need. Whether that's a need for more intimacy in your marriage, whether that need is more authority at work, whether that need is more love with that brother or sister that you're constantly fighting with, whether that need is the next meal for your family, God has promised in his word, and his word does not lie, to fulfill that need. And the beautiful thing is that he knows us so well that he's not just, oh, I'm waiting for you to hurry up and ask. 
I have had, I know we can all recount countless needs in our life that sometimes we didn't even realize we had that need. This is that we felt that emptiness or that something that just nagging and Jesus meets that need without. So it's not just like waiting on you. Well, God's just waiting for you to ask. Man, if you just ask for that need to me, God's waiting to fulfill that promise. It's not on you. He says, according to his riches and glory, God has already done it for you. Just rest in that knowledge, rest in that promise. In Romans 8, 37 and 39, Romans 8. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height or depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is a promise that I have had to cling to in my life. I've had death in my life. I've had some struggles in my life where I felt that I was separated from God. That I felt alone and weary and depressed. And this word is a word of hope that no death, no depression, Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Now, you can hide from the love of God. That is a very real thing. And some of us may be hiding from God's love today. Maybe parts of your life that you're not letting God's love do its work. But his promise to us is that nothing can separate you from his love, not even you. Not even you. So there's all these external things that we that kind of interfere with that relationship, that interfere with that love, that distract us from that relationship with God and his love. And most of the time, the biggest hurdle that we have to overcome is ourselves. But not even you can get in the way of God's love. Not even you can separate yourself from God's love. That is his promise and his word is true. Proverbs, we're all over the place today. Proverbs, the gospel, I mean, I'm telling you, the, the, the gospel is through, it's not just the first four books of the Bible, I mean, of the New Testament. It is preached throughout the entire Bible. In Proverbs 133, but whoever listens to me will dwell secure and be at ease without dread of disaster. Meaning, Peace be with you. Just that, grab that. Peace be with you. In Proverbs 133. Do not dread about disaster. Do not constantly be in that state of anxiousness of what's going to happen next and what's going to happen next. But take peace that God's peace is promised to you. God's peace is promised to you. In John 14, 27. I love this one. John 14, 27. 
peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I love what Brian was pointing out last week about peace. You know, we see it when we walk in Hobby Lobby. We see this peace and joy and all these signs. And you're driving through neighborhoods with Christmas lights, and they have peace written on their uh, side of their house and awesome LED lights, you know. But true peace comes from knowing the hope and glory of God. True peace is when we find that contentment in knowing who God is. And who is God? A God of promises and a God of love. And that is what gives us peace. That is what gives us comfort. This is what Simeon was waiting for in the temple. He was waiting for that hope of comfort, that hope of peace. And when he sees Jesus, and he sees the promise fulfilled of Messiah come, Emmanuel, God with us, he is now at peace. He is now at peace. And what's such good news this morning, what's such awesome news today, is that he has come. And when we accept that and we receive that, we rest in that, that he has come. Our hope of glory, our hope of salvation, that we are filled with peace. We are filled with joy. Two more promises. Two more promises. In Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, But the free gift of God, the free promise of God, is eternal life through Christ Jesus for our Lord. So this is a promise that's yet to come, right? This is the promise that we are holding out hope for and believe today knowing that it will happen for us. Is that that peace of eternal life spent with our Father in heaven. What a beautiful promise What a beautiful peace that we can have knowing that our lives are secured in heaven. That we have the the hope of eternal life. That this life is not just about earth. That's not just about these Sunday mornings. But that our eyes can be fixed on a future and a hope and a promise of eternal life. And sometimes we lose sight of that. It's very easy for us to live in the right now. And dwell also in the things of the past. Because that's what we know. That's our every day. What we know is the the, the joints in our knees. That's very real. That's today. What we know is the bills that are stacked on our table right now, on my kitchen table. There's a huge stack of hospital bills. That's real. That's what I know right now. There are things that are very real, and, and it's very hard for us sometimes to keep our eyes fixed on a beautiful future that we have In Christ Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that we just live with heavenly minds, because that whole, you know, you're no earthly good, right? So we have to be present. We have to be in the now. We have to live our lives. We have our responsibilities as parents, as friends, as family. We have those real responsibilities right now. 
but there is a peace that comes with the understanding that it's not about just this life, that we have been promised eternal life. And we don't talk about that too much, about this eternal life that's been promised. But that's the whole reason why Jesus came. The design of our world, the design of our, our relationship with God was this eternal design, right? Jesus had to come so that we might have that eternal life. It's a huge part of the promise. It's a huge part of that future that we have with him. So not only was he promised to come, but he was promised to die. And he was promised to be resurrected. He was promised to conquer sin and death. And we were promised eternal life with him. And we can rest assured knowing that God never fails. There's not a single promise that has ever been broken. Not a single promise has ever been broken. We break promises all the time. I've promised Ryan lots of stuff that he hasn't gotten or that he forgets about. And I thank God that he forgot. He's like, oh, I made that promise and he forgot. Yes. Have you ever had that moment as a parent? It's like, oh, I hope he doesn't remember. We're not getting the pony this year. It's not going to happen. But God is our supreme father who never fails, who never fails. One last promise I want to read to you. In Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is our promise. That we will be saved. How many times do we need to confess his name, that he is our Savior? As many times as you need to. It only takes once. But I tell you, I, I claim salvation weekly, if not daily. <laughs> Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you raised me from the, that you were raised from the dead, and that I am saved by your blood. I mean, and, there, and there's nothing you can you can I mean get be assured in your salvation. If you haven't if you haven't prayed the prayer of salvation in over a year, do it now. I'm just saying, and, and it's not because it it that's what saves you. Oh, I gotta say it so many times, and that's how I get saved. But to me, it's a reassurance. It's a standing on the promise. It's a belief and confirmation that Jesus, you you are my salvation. You were raised from the dead. You were sent to save me. I believe you with all my heart that I have eternal life in you. That I have hope in you. I have peace in you. I pray that in this Christmas season, you gather your family together. Maybe it's today during worship that you gather your family together and say, let's pray this prayer that we believe in Jesus, that he is our hope of salvation, because that's what it's all about. That is the ultimate promise that we will be saved, that you are saved, that you are being saved daily. That is the promise of our God. That is the peace that we have. That is the hope that we have. And, and these two beautiful people in this story, Simeon and, and Anna, they knew that promise. They were committed to that promise. We see that in, in, in Anna, the prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, who was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day 
And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So her response to seeing Jesus, her response to seeing the fulfillment of the promise, what was it? She started preaching. She started giving God glory. She, I mean, anyone who would listen to her at the temple that day heard about Jesus, heard about the coming of the Messiah, heard about the fulfillment of the promise. When she saw Jesus, the fulfillment of the promise, this was her response. She gave thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So she went to every room of that temple and said, Jesus has come. The Messiah has come. The promise of God has been fulfilled. Give thanks to God. Praise be to God. He has sent us the promised one. What is our response to the fulfillment of promise this season? What is our response to knowing the hope of glory has come? She spent her life in the temple praying and fasting. I don't expect you to spend your life at 4-H praying and fasting. I don't think they would let us, probably not. Okay. Um, But we can take a great example from this beautiful prophetess of giving thanks to God and proclaiming he has come to all who will hear. And that is my challenge to you in this season. To proclaim thanks to God and however you want to do that. Through song, through just quiet time with Jesus. But give him thanks. Give him thanks. Don't take it for granted. But have that moment sometime this week between you and God and give him thanks for the fulfillment of his promises. And don't let this week pass without telling someone the good news that Jesus has come. If there ever was a season where people are more receptive and more eager to hear good news, this is that time. And it's, it's a challenge to us, you know. This, this prophetess has been practicing her whole life in the temple, praying and fasting. She was built for this moment. She was ready for this moment. Jesus has come. Man, I got the green light. It's go time. I'm going to tell everybody in this temple right now. And this was a, a, I mean, the temple was full, y'all. I mean, this place was packed out. I mean, y'all have been, you know, those Christmas Christians, right? Christmas and Easter, right? It's that one time of year, like, all the Catholics go to Mass. It's like five services to get everyone through the building. I mean, it is packed during this season. And people are eager, and it's just that you feel that guilty, conscious. But Don't let it pass us by without sharing the good news that the promise has been fulfilled. Share that the comfort and the hope and the peace of God has come. And if you don't feel that urge, if you don't have that inspiration, it's there. It's God's promise in you. And hear his promise today and let that encourage you. Let that inspire you this morning. That, man, I have to share this promise with with everyone I know. And if it's not everyone I know, at least one person that you know needs to know this promise of God. 
needs to know that this hope of glory has come. And his name is Jesus. And that he has never failed his promises. That he is a God who watches over us. I love this last part of Luke chapter 2. When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. I want to come back to this picture of Mary and Joseph. And we're going to, I'm jumping a little ahead. I'm stealing a little bit of Brian's thunder next week, but we see that they were committed to bring him to temple every year. Every year, we're, next week we're going to talk about how Jesus hung back at the temple and they just forgot him. So maybe they weren't the best parents because they left him at temple. But they were committed to bring Jesus every year to Jerusalem for this special time, for him to be in his father's house. And in this time, I just, I don't know, because I'm a new father again, I just feel this heavy burden uh, of responsibility to be sure that my children know what this is really all about. And, and that we all know what this is really all about. That we have this responsibility as parents and as Christians to share this with our children, with our family, with our friends, with our neighbors, with anyone who will listen to us. That, that peace has come. That the joy of the Lord is our strength and that he that he fulfills his promises, that we, that we serve and we worship a God who listens and responds, that we serve and worship a God who is real, his love is everlasting, his love is never failing, and that should give us hope today, that should give us courage today to share that with someone. Because, I mean, it's great if you're full of joy and peace but wouldn't you love it if the people around you were also filled with joy and peace? Because those are usually the people that rob you of that joy and peace. So let's get everybody around us on the same page, right? Let's get our home in the same. I mean, it starts in our home. I really believe this. I really believe this. It starts in our home. That if there's someone in your household right now that doesn't have hope and doesn't have peace, that it's our responsibility to pray over them and share with them this hope and this peace. And if there's someone outside of your family that's connected to you that doesn't have hope and peace, let's, let's give them that hope and peace. And, and it, the, the greatest, coolest thing about all of this is that you don't give them the hope and you don't give them the peace. Jesus does that. You just give them love. You just care about them enough to open your mouth and open your arms and open your home and Jesus does the rest. That is the beautiful, wonderful thing about God is that he smartly does not rely just on us to do it, <laughs> right? He didn't rely just on Joseph and Mary to raise his son. <laughs> I guarantee you, they had a lot of help along the way. And they, and they messed up, and they made mistakes, and they left him at the temple. Probably more than once. This is just the one time that we remember. you got to imagine Jesus sneaking off, like, all the time. Like, oh, yep, he's at the temple. we got to go find him. Um, Smartly enough, God knew that he couldn't just rely on you and definitely could not just rely on me to bring peace into this world, to bring hope to the lost. But we are the one, we are in the know. We know that peace and we know that hope. So we do have this responsibility and this urge to go and share that good news.
with all those around us about the promises of God. And I encourage you in this season, these were only 10 of the 1,000 promises that God has made. He has covenants in here, and he has beautiful promises to us. And each and every one are more beautiful than the next. And there's a promise in here for you of hope and of glory, of strength. And we need to grab a hold of it and realize that it's, it's, it's real, y'all. This is the truth of God. And he never fails. He never fails. His promises endure all things. His promises never fail. That's what we need to grab a hold of in this season, that the promise has come, and his name is Jesus. Amen. Would y'all pray with me this morning? Lord, we are humbled by the thought that you have such great love for us, that you sacrificed your only son, Jesus, to be born in a lowly manger so that we might know your love, so that we might know what it is to have true peace, true comfort, so that every need may be met. Where we are weak, you are strong. Where we are lost, we are found by your love. Lord, just give us the courage and the inspiration in this season to share your peace, to share your love with all those around us. That you would give us the words of courage to open our arms, open our doors, open our mouths to all that would hear that Messiah has come, the promise has been fulfilled. That all might know you, that might all might know your hope. We just love you in this season more than any time of the year. It's such a, I feel like, I know you're always for us, you're always with us, God, but in this special time, it just feels like you're so, so near to us. We thank you, God, for your presence. We thank you for your love.